You are listening to the Plain Label Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Plain Label Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Williams, and in this episode, we continue on our discussion of director Akira Kurosawa with the 1962 film Sanjuro. Here to discuss the film with me is returning guest, Mr. Ben Teed. Hello. Thanks for having me again. Mm-hmm. Before getting into our discussion, I would like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. And we are also still sponsored by Audible. For you, the listeners of Plain Label Podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check them out. For this episode, our Audible recommendation is Bushido, The Samurai Code of Honor by James Walker. The audiobook was performed by Kobe Allen. It is a brief listen at only one hour, and it only retails for $7. So even if you didn't want to do the trial, it's only 7 bucks. so there's not too much of a risk. And Audible says this about the book. The Legends of Samurai continue to captivate us. We wonder if the stories we see depicted in pop culture creations, books, and museums are full of truth or enhanced to make a point. You're going to experience the fantastic world of the samurai and learn the code, or Bushido, that these men followed to live up to the honor and loyalty for their masters as a way of protecting Japan. The samurai were highly skilled warriors, fighting for various reasons, even establishing the feudal era known as Edo, with a social caste system that put them on the top. The samurai ruled Japan for several years, fought wars, and eventually became obsolete. But their traditions and codes are not gone from history. They live on today. Everyone can learn a little something from the samurai, including how to live a better life, honoring people, staying loyal, and defending others when it is right and all when it is right are all virtues of the samurai that can be continued today. You're going to learn of the eight virtues, the history of the samurai, some of the most famous warriors, and then you'll discover how you can apply their lifestyle to the modern world. Discover how you can uphold the traditions of highly skilled warriors and live a decent and kind life, as described by Bushido writer, something in Japan that I don't know how to say, even if you're just a regular person. It says, what are you waiting for? Buy and listen and learn about Bushido now. To download that audiobook or any free audiobook today, you can go to audibletrial.com slash plain label. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash plain label for your free audiobook. All right, Mr. Teed, after that yes. very long description, what are you, <laughs> what kind of beverage are you drinking for me this evening? I'm glad you asked because I would like to put these people on a pedestal. I, uh, I, I might have said this on the show before. I live, uh, just outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And Fort Wayne has a number of different um, uh, breweries around, and they also have some a couple of different uh, cider houses. And one of my new favorite ones that I found um, is uh, a cider company called Kikianga, hmm. and uh, they do an old cider uh, that is uh, made here in Fort Wayne. And the one I particularly like is their just their regular standard like. They're, they're, they're fine one that they just make, you know, all the time. Uh, Old Bicorn. Old hmm. Bicorn has a picture of Matt Anthony Wayne on it. I'm guessing that's him in his little, uh, what is that, tri-point hat thing that he's, that he wears or whatever. <laughs> There's also a flag of Fort Wayne on it as well. Um, but it's just, uh, I, I've been drinking ciders for a little while now, but, uh, um, uh, and this one has been, Probably one of my favorites. Interesting. Uh, in in recent times, so I, I'm happy that I was able to get to go over to the. I, I guess it's not really a brewery. What do they call it? Like I guess. a brew it's pub like or a, something. A, yeah, brew pub. They have a little place where they you can try everything out on tap. And I oh, like like a tap else. house or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And and it's where they make stuff, where they bottle things. Um, and I'll and I'll be honest, I I I tried every one of their other ones, and I and I like them fine. I just can't get past their main old bicorn. So I'm. I'm drinking more. It comes in four packs. I don't know if it ships anywhere else around um, near anybody else. I think they're still <laughs> rather new and small, but it's been one of my favorite ciders, uh, especially for the summer. Um, 
you can, uh, much like a lot of other beverages, you can take them in the shower with you after mowing, and mm. they're perfect. So <laughs> that's my endorsement. <laughs> there you go. But, that's that's but, yeah. the way that you're supposed to drink it, too. Heck yeah. Says. yeah. Yeah, what you uh, what what are you drinking? Well, I'm having I'm having kind of the standard. I'm having Lacroix and vodka, but this is a different Lacroix for me this time. This is it is Murray Pepino. It is blackberry cucumber. Uh, I don't know what this other word is that's on this this can, but it is. Uh, let's see. It says zero calories, zero sweetener, zero sodium equals innocent. And then if you look at the ingredients, it says only carbonated water naturally essenced. So I have no idea what naturally essenced means. <laughs> I feel like that's a way to put either sugar or sweetener in it and not say that that's what you're doing. <laughs> because <Right. laughs> it tastes like blackberry cucumber the moment, for a reason. The moment you say anything else about any sort of added thing, they're like, well, what is it and how much calories is it? And no, no, it no, no, no. It's just naturally <laughs> essence. Don't oh, worry well, about okay. That. Well, then fine. Then, yeah. I'm, then I'm sold. <laughs> it's all so. natural. So right. it, it is, it is pretty good. It's not, uh, I don't know. It was something that was different in there. My wife must have bought it and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be drinking it or not. So we'll see how that goes. But, right. But I went ahead and snagged one of those with the, uh, with the vodka today. And we do Svedka vodka over here because it's the one, Vodka that I can drink, which doesn't make my joints feel weird, like my joints <laughs> and my hands, they feel strange if I drink different kinds of vodka. But weird, yeah. Oh but Svedka, Svedka's okay, uh, and it doesn't give me a hangover. So there you go. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't heard of it either. I think maybe I'm making it up, but it <laughs> it does seem to happen whenever I drink like Tito's or Smirnoff or anything. It's like an inflammatory thing, maybe. I don't. Well, know. I don't know. It, yeah, it's like it's almost like an arthritic thing. Weird. Yeah. Oh man. It's strange. I am getting old, but I'm not ready to be that old yet. <laughs> All right, so with that, we're ready to kick off our discussion of the 1962 film Sanjuro. plot synopsis goes like this. A wandering samurai, Sanjuro, is drawn into local politics. The superintendent of a clan is plotting to take over the clan by implicating the chamberlain in corrupt activities. Part of the plan involves killing off 
the Chamberlain's staff, and in protecting them, Sanjuro sides with them. The supporters are massively outnumbered, so it it will require all of Sanjuro's cunning and swordcraft to ensure the superintendent does not succeed in his evil plan. Okay, so that is the plot synopsis of the film. Mr. Teed, this is, of course... A first watch for both of us. I believe this is a part of a box set that you have. Is that correct? Yeah, I got the uh, the Criterion. It, it has both one uh, the 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 first film it has Yojimbo, uh, Yojimbo and, yeah, and then also within that box set is Sanjuro, and it's it's like a slipcase thing. Oh, okay. And man, like it, I of course I'm gonna chill out for for the Criterion stuff, especially when it, when they do such a great job on all of their all of their stuff that I've bought so far from them. But um, I think what's going to happen this time is one of the rare moments where we watch a movie and I instead go, oh, this is really heady stuff. I don't think I'm smart enough to talk about this. <laughs> uh, actually, this time, I think it's one of those rare moments where I got about 15 minutes into this movie and I went, ah, this is, I know this game. I know mm-hmm. this is, I know what's mm-hmm. going on here. This is, this will be fine. Like, That's right. And I think that kind of informed the rest of the film for me. So let me let me just ask you in general, what did you what did you think of the movie? I liked it a lot. However, <laughs> I don't think I would place it above the first film. Mm-hmm. I think my my whole thing is at this point, having watched them both. I think within the last you know well within the last year at least. You know, I was gonna say within close succession, but enough time has passed that I definitely remember oh, yeah. how things were familiar enough. It's been recent enough, sure. It's been recent enough for me to remember the basic storyline. I don't remember all the characters' names or anything like that. I remember Saint Juro, you know, t- uh, uh, Mafune's uh, titular character that he, you know, uh, uh, portrays in, in in a very in in like effortless like fashion mm-hmm. in this in this <laughs> in both films and. There was obviously uh, familiarity to uh, the setup and the way things go and how things play out, but there are certain things about it that I still super love it, but I just there I just prefer the other film. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just glad that I get to watch both and I get to keep them both. Mm-hmm. But if like if I were to destroy one and I was never going to see it again in this really dumb, hypothetical, never going to happen uh, type of, of scheme and I had to choose between one or two, I would probably pick one, mm-hmm. uh, Yojimbo. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, there's just something about that mythical um, samurai figure who's selfless enough to and clever enough to set forces against each other so that they destroy themselves within um, there's one thing that this movie has that's a step above the other one, and I, we might get into it, but essentially, I think I, I think where I lie right now, and and if we talk long enough in this episode, I bet I, I bet you could talk me out of it. Uh, <laughs> that I still think I would put the first one above this one, even though they're very very close, mm-hmm. because you know it's 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 practically the same movie, but in some ways it's not. But uh, did you feel the same way, or how did you come out? Well, that's interesting that you say that, because I would say of the films that we've talked about so far, this one's probably my least favorite Kurosawa. And I say that because this is the film of his that I felt like it was the most standard, that it was the most kind of traditional or the most that had it, it was the movie that had the least amount of Kurosawa's sort of stamps on it, right? Um, because there wasn't any real outlandish characters. There wasn't really anything visually that he was doing that we haven't kind of already seen. Um, it just sort of felt lived in, and I enjoyed the movie fine, but it wasn't anything to where I watched it and was like, oh man, I'm so swept away by this, that, or the other. And so I liked it. I liked it. And I, I thought that Mufune is still very good as Sanjuro. I like that he's having a little bit of age to his persona and he's kind of portraying that a little bit more. But he I was, sure is rocking that shoulder back. A oh, little he bit is. More yes. Month. He's got that shoulder that he's always kinking out, right? That he's always got a little issue with that, that shoulder. Um, but I would say of the ones that we've watched so far, this is probably at the bottom, which 
it's not like it's uh I don't consider that a put down because we've watched some sort of classics in in movie history and and so I think that uh this one falls a little shy of the others though for me. Oh wow, okay. Yeah, no, I mean thinking about it too, uh I think the other one was really more of a I mean they're both technically westerns. Yes. Like like you know, rolling into town type of thing. Yep. In fact, this one is interesting because he literally um the, the the opening scene is all of these uh, younger uh, what do they say like councilmen or whatever or what, yeah. what exactly were they yeah and um <laughs> and uh they're talking about their problem he doesn't even ride into town he's <laughs> literally like nearly drunk asleep yeah in the back room and he just stumbles out of like the the, the other room like huh like okay I guess I'll fight type of <laughs> type of uh, entry which isn't which isn't like you know a fantastical entrance, but it's totally <laughs> like a, I mean, this is, this is where Frank Miller and a lot of these guys mm-hmm. uh, that love these heroic mm-hmm. entrances get these like for like Wolverine or something like that. He just comes in and he's just like, Oh, I see you guys have a problem. And mm-hmm. you know, maybe I don't have to help you. Do you want me to help you? I don't, I guess I don't have to. Yeah. You know, unless, you, unless you follow exactly the way I'm saying it or something. It's the, Hey, this isn't any of my business, but you're all going to die if you do that. Kind of a stakes. The stakes were so much lower for me in this one too, Mm -hmm. because it was like, ah, here we go again. Another tightly written, uh, like well scripted, well thought out, very clever premise, uh, caper almost. Not like a, kind of like a caper, but like, they're not stealing anything. They're just going behind these two different forces' backs and trying to move between the politics of it all and trying to essentially set, set up for, the other side to fail and trick them. Mm-hmm. And um, there's some, I think some of the uh, the shots in, in Sanjuro, there's a, there's a few in there that are extremely striking uh, that I think I has going for it. Okay. And I also think that the, probably the main theme or the quote-unquote, you know, lesson or whatever to be learned at the very end, mm-hmm. um, I think that is a, is a huge plus in terms of, I don't actually remember there being something like that in Yojimbo. I just thought it was just like a, I'm here to save the, the townspeople. I'm gonna get rid of the bad guys, you know. Yeah. It was more of, it was more of an action plot type of thing. Whereas this one was like, you know, a sword should really be sheathed. You mm-hmm. should really never have mm-hmm. to use it. Yeah. And, uh, a good sword is one that always sits there and protects. You should never, it's like a, it's a wise wisdom. It's a lot of, a lot of, uh, war hungry people. I mean, even even today in this world, <laughs> uh, that that want uh, certain you know elements of and and are you would, are, you wouldn't be speaking politically at the moment, would you be? <laughs> no, I'm no. I, I just I definitely you can still see it today, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as well as back then. I'm even sure in feudal Japan there were people that were ready to just fight and they were ready to uh, uh, think and act aggressively. But you know, if if you want to go by the true form of a samurai or a true form of of what this hero is all about. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. Uh, you should keep that sword sheathed and and ready to protect and right. ready to to mm-hmm. stop something. But I think that is a much more powerful message than just what you end up with with Yojimbo. But the the action is so fun. But um, is is a lot more fun too. But I think you're. I think you hit something uh, back when you were describing how you felt. This one felt a little bit flatter. Mm-hmm. Also visually flatter. Yes. Uh, there was a lot of shots where normally um, there's a ton of movement mm-hmm. and a lot of good camera movement. And I'm not saying that this movie is without that stuff. I just thought there was significantly less. There was a lot more flatter shots on flat backgrounds. How many times were they shooting in that room where all the guys were, all the councilmen were, were stuffed in there? And there's a guy even stuffed in the closet. We'll talk about him in a little bit. <laughs> um, but... It's just on a it's just on a plain white wall or paper wall or something like that. Like nothing right. nothing really to, to to look at. And and this is a director that's normally known for having these beautiful nature scenes or smoke or fire or snow or something to move in the background. But what I did notice in this one is I like how we we talked about like you know we talk about Sanjuro who's played by, you know, Mifune. And then we talk about the councilmen, but we don't really talk about a specific one. That's why, that's because I think the councilmen are just a character. It's just, it's just called the councilmen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Kurosawa does his signature, 
I was gonna say signature move, but it's it's movement. It's he moves groups so well. Yes. And and uh, when they all stand up and look, they move together, and they just perfectly are choreographed to to mix with the shot and the camera so well. And so, like when when Sanjuro's standing over something, and then the crowd comes in, the crowd of councilmen swoops in behind him. They're standing just so perfectly behind him that you see every one of their faces, and they're all the same face, you know in reaction or, or to what's going on or something like that. And I, I think that there's something to be said for that too. Yeah. I, you know, it's well thought out in that respect. Yeah. I think that that's right. Like, I think that instead of focusing on camera moves or shots or something that would inspire Terrence Malick years later, I think what Kurosawa does here that's really effective is the choreography because we do have large crowds of people in that opening sequence where they're coming in and they're surrounding the little hut and you know that he hides them in the floorboards and they all kind of come up and then one of them comes up later slightly comedically right and so he has those sorts of things where it's like oh you don't believe me go look and then they all kind of scutter over there towards the wall and look right and that and that's very well choreographed my only problem is is we're stuck with these nine or ten guys and I don't know who any of them are. Like, I don't have any sort of personality for any of them. They're just a, like, they're, I get the guy that eventually says, hey, maybe we should actually believe them, him instead of messing <laughs> things up. But up until that point, it's just a big group of guys that are doing their best, but he keeps saying that they're not doing enough or not thinking enough about what they're trying to do. And so I think it was just a little bit of, me not really gelling with the type of story that he was telling this time because I think it was well executed. I just don't know that I was in love with the sort of nameless group that he's or or personalityless group that he's sort of protecting against a group that has one good villain, but the rest of the horde is just this sort of nameless, faceless mass. And so I was just that just left me a little bit cold compared to the other films, I think. Yeah, and I'm not sure how to, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a way to write around that either. Because, although, yeah, you're right. They're all talking. They're all thinking the same thing. And then one of them thinks differently. It's like the little voice in the back of one character's head mm-hmm. is thinking. But it's, it just happens to be like six or seven different people all crowded around this one guy. I don't know how important it is to have them be more, like, I don't know what that movie would look like or, or, or how that would change the dynamic. But I think just like, I don't know. It, I'm I'm agreeing with you, but at the same time, I'm thinking I don't really have a solution. Maybe it's not yeah, like what the solution, solution is, sure. or or to come up with because honestly, we need these shorthands to get the point across. I don't know if we were bringing in other characters, if that's really going to help, or to bring in personality to these different ones. Oh, this one's uh, sleepy. This one's sneezy. This one's <laughs> you know, like I don't know. I don't. I'm not saying that's obviously a complete, completely stupid analogy, but like. But like, I don't know if doing that would have helped or had had done anything um, uh, story wise. Well, I just think of it. Yeah, I just think of it as like when we were watching Seven Samurai and we had all of these different types and we had all this time taken to distinguish each of those people. I get that the story is about Sanjuro. I mean, that's who the he's the character that the movie's named after. But I I could have gone for a little bit more from some of those characters to where maybe one of them is the one who wants to take over for him if he leaves because there's no like there's no burgeoning Sanjuro type character from this younger crowd or maybe there's one of them who is the eager one who goes out on his own or something you know there's just everyone was just kind of the exact same and it just played a little flat you're right so yeah I don't know I I I, I guess yeah I'm I'm with you, but I honestly... Like, what else could you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, there's a couple of different things in this film that are just pure Kurosawa, like, yes, like, this is what I came to see, this is what I'm excited about, this is why the film is good. And it's, I think it's the, the way that, the way that they introduced the character Mm -hmm. of, of Sinjuro. Like, his, his entrance. Mm -hmm. I think him trying to, it kind of, I, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say it dragged. 
it was a very tight script, but I kept getting a little like stare at my watch a little bit. Yes, you know, yeah. I started right. to get a little bit that way. I'm, I I guess I should say it did drag at the very beginning after they introduced uh, Sanjuro and the problem that getting to the solution was was took a little bit of time and with a little bit of patience because they had to set up um, that these what six to seven idiots were <laughs> were yes. couldn't figure out how to do this correctly or to or know to listen to this guy uh, who I mean I don't blame him because how could they know that he was just this amazing you know dude or whatever but right and, at, it, at the he, same time and he's right. protecting them from falling into the traps laid by the the villain and that sort of thing but when they finally do and those wheels are set into motion mm-hmm. there's a moment where he gets them all captured he, he like knocks some of them out or yes or something like that, and 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 so it's like they're learning a lesson by him knocking them out. And he's like, "All right, well, if you aren't listening to me, then I'm gonna get you guys through this in a way. We're gonna do it the hard way, pretty much." And the moment is when he like fights like eight dudes. Yes, yes. In the middle of it, it's just like God, that is Jedi Knight as hell. Oh, like, absolutely, I love, it is. That is it. That is what the hero. That is the mythical figure. Of that, of that cowboy, like, ah, I didn't want to do this, but bam, 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 and he shoots them all. Like, he's able to take them all out, like, no problem and stuff like that. Yeah. And that, so. Those are the most successful scenes for me, is when yeah. he's doing that. The, and, and it's, and it's, um, it's not a, a full, like, it's, it's very different than a lot of action films today. If it was Dwayne The Rock Johnson or somebody else or Arnold Schwarzenegger even before him, like, this guy would have walked into town and he would have had a chain gun and he would have blown them all away. Like, that's just how those movies go. It's right. just like, don't even think about it. This guy is remorseful when he kills those eight. He's cleaning off his sword going, and he's pissed. He's just like, I can't believe you guys got me into this. You know, I kind of got myself into this. I'm pissed off and mad. Yeah, because that that's when I, he slaps that, the shit out of them. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to kill these people. These people have families and stuff like that. I... You guys are just forcing me to pretty much just become your sh- your sword for you to the point where I don't really want to... I mean, it, it's just like, this blood does not need to be shed. Mm-hmm. Like, this is really useless. But it's exciting, though, too, because it's it's obviously the action and the, the cool parts and stuff like that. But there's also weight to those moments. Yeah. And, and there's the... Yeah. Well, so. and what I like so much about that is I do think that when there is action in the film, and for a film that is a samurai film, there's not a ton of action set pieces, really. It's a lot of how are we going to strategize and trick the other the opponents, and, and then he has a whole deal where he pretends to abandon them, and he pretends right. to be with the, the villains and all of that kind of thing. But I think when they're actually doing... The little action set pieces, I think those are incredibly well done. And I love the fact that you brought up Star Wars because it is, I touch you with my sword equals you're dead. Right? Yes. It's not like, ooh, I gotta really kinda get a lot of blood and get a lot of, um, real vicious looking swipes of this sword. And I love that he's like smacking them like it's a stick with his sword and that's the equivalent of him like slicing them. You know, it's like making yeah. like a whack kind of a sound instead of like a, a typical kind of sword sound that you hear in movies. And so I, I did enjoy that, but I did not think of the Star Wars thing until you brought that up. But that fits perfectly with what he's doing. Well, and, and even with the first Star Wars film, he is so he's so like particularly Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is supposed to be it's, it's just fits so perfectly in the movie trivia history of like. Mifune having to play Obi-Wan or whatever, but, like, doesn't need to break out his sword. Just doesn't need to a lot of the times. So that's why those early movies are great because you don't have to fight. You don't have to have this fight scene. You don't have to have a bunch of lightsabers or, in this case, swords running across the field all waving their swords around like they're going to chop things up. Like, that stuff, there's a place for that stuff, and it's not here. It's it's There's weight to what's going on. There's weight to the deaths. There's weight mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. there's consequences, and 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 these mythical uh, uh, samurai know that, and 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 Obi Wan and all the you know the Jedi and stuff like that. Now I don't know about the new film, the newer films or anything like that, but like we 
diving into the don't really want to dive into the prequels here, but like they are waving swords around like yeah. crazy and just oh, yeah. using them because it's cool and because we want to see it or whatever. It's definitely it, more id and it's it's dialed down the sort of maturity level. But can you imagine a scene like the last scene in this film in a Star Wars oh, film? How great like, would that be? What a great shot! What an amazing like. I mean, I mean, and and Kershaw does not. I'll, I'll, I'll describe it pretty much. They have the last guy captured. He's he's pretty much in their in their hands, and he makes a move to do one last because he's he's not going to budge. He's just he's literally not going to stop. It's it's like an honorable thing or whatever, and he moves, and as he does, Sanjuro pretty much cuts into him, and it is like a waterfall. <laughs> it I mean, is it the is, craziest horror movie blood spatter you've ever seen. It's the mo- yeah. It's even more than like a Tarantino and Kill Bill or something like <laughs> it that. It was so. But it, but it's I was very so close. shocked. Oh but it's very God. close. Yeah. And that's another. That's a gr- another a great example of a scene in Kill Bill Volume One with the crazy 88s where he's where right. she's fighting all these things and blood's flying everywhere and stuff. And it just doesn't. It just it doesn't matter. Like it's just she's just doing it. And I used to think it was I, back when I saw it. I, I was much younger and much younger in terms of uh, my. Uh, movie watching days and stuff like that, and just thought that that was just the coolest thing. She's just chopping up. She's just like a Cuisinart, <laughs> as with, uh, Lady Cuisinart with a, with the, wearing a wearing a white jumper. Uh, Lady Cuisinart, that's hilarious. But that's that's the new uh, uh, Netflix series. Is Lady Cuisinart <laughs> um, sponsored by Cuisinart? Uh, but don't give them any ideas. Come on. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but that but that's what I'm saying is none of that stuff had any. It, it's an homage, and you can see it there. But the impact of that last shot and what was happening, and then all of them like stand and watch him leave, and he goes, and he's really pissed at that point. Mm-hmm. Don't follow me. I don't want this. You guys may, you guys were, you guys might learn a thing or two. You know, I forget what the the actual line is, but he is essentially just like, this isn't, this isn't what I wanted. We needed to, we could have avoided this violence. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that, uh, okay, so I, granted, I haven't seen The Last Jedi right, yet, but okay. how amazing would it be if they have some sort of standoff where it would be Ray and Luke, and they're looking at each other like the end of this movie is, and for whatever reason, like whatever plot reason do you have to have, and by this time, this is the second movie with Yojimbo. This is would be several movies with Luke, and obviously this would would have been the third movie with Ray. And so you have this sort of climactic battle. And imagine how people would have lost their minds if there was an actual consequence, and the two of them had to face off like that. And that's I think what I'm think what I'm talking about to where those characters like Yojimbo, I have a feeling towards the other character. I didn't really like in the in when we watched. Uh, when we watched the film Yojimbo, I had a sort of fondness for that villain because he was that crazy kind of, had the gun guy and he had the kind of crazy hair and he was like the bad boy and he was the guy that I felt like, um, that, uh, Johnny Depp's character in, uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico was sort of, um, pretending to be in that Robert Rodriguez film and, he had this sort of personality to him where this guy doesn't really have a lot of personality. And so even though I was like, oh, cool, blood spurt waterfall, at the same time I was like, well, I don't really know who that guy is. I mean, I knew he wasn't that, I knew that, uh, Yojimbo or Sanjuro wasn't going to be the guy that died. So I was just like, well, I mean, that was cool visually, but it left me thinking about what it could have been, I think. Yeah. Well, I found the line. It's a, it's a, it's like when he does, when he does kill the guy, he just said, like, he's going up against another unsheathable sword. Yes. He was just yes. like me. It's right. too dangerous to keep around. And then he, you know, tries to, uh, like that whole excessive bloodshed is just kind of like showing how villainous a hero can be. Mm. They don't, they suddenly, in that, in that moment, in, in the, in the bar scene in Star Wars, 
Uh, I call it Star Wars. Other people call it A New Hope. It's called Star Wars. It's called Star Wars, <laughs> 1977. Um, but when Obi-Wan has to chop off a guy's arm because he's giving, because he pulls a gun on Luke, like, he doesn't want to do that. Like, he, he's not trying to be like, haha, I'm going to step in and, and be this, like, Errol Flynn, you know, Robin Hood guy who's just winking at the camera sword fighting. He's like, ha, ah, you know, like, almost like, alright, like, and then he even, I think, pays for the mess, or, or, or maybe, yeah, no, yeah. that was Han that pays for the yeah, mess. Yeah. But, but that's just one of those things where it's just like, there's an exhaustion of like, more war, really, and, and, and that's, it's what follows men like this. It's what follows, uh, you know, pretty much a sword. A, a man who is a killing machine. Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love and those. Haunt. I love that trope in movies where you have the character who's the, either the apprentice or he's the unknowing kind of bystander to this person who's either got a lot of power or got some sort of weapon or some sort of skill, and he's forced to use it, and he's like, you know, God damn it, don't make me, don't make me do that, now I have to do this. You know, I, I love that in films, and I wish that there would be more of that, because it's like, look, yes, I can do X, Y, Z, but I don't want to. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to do this sort of stuff anymore. But the person right. who isn't around it as much thinks it's cool or thinks it's whatever. Right? And so I wish that they would do that more often. And I think that that's what I like here is, is it's kind of they see, you know, he sees himself in this other person and he realizes that they are both the unsheathed swords. And so it's a matter of, well, one of us has to go. You know, the the town's not big enough for both of us, kind of a cliche line. And, right. And so one of us has to, you know, one of us has to draw. And I was, like, fearing and also hoping at the same time that the movie was going to fade to black before either of them did anything. And like, part, oh, of, part of me was like, oh, my God, no, they're not going to just fade to black, are they? Because I knew I was getting at the very end, right? And then part of me was also like, holy shit, what if they actually did that? What big balls that would take to actually do that? Just to stop it there. Yeah, just to fade. And you don't know what happens. And then that's when I was just completely shocked by the amount of blood that they show and the amount of time that they took before they showed the blood because they are sitting there staring at each other a mere probably six inches away and they're there for a good minute just looking at each other. And a minute's a long ass time if you're just sitting there just with nobody doing anything. And so I was glued to the screen during that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I want to say it was like, yeah, it was probably nearly a minute, like 45 seconds maybe where they were just staring. And I kind of like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like seriously. And then <laughs> I think, I think this one too just is so much heavier. It's almost like I would love a third film. Mm-hmm. I feel like Yojimbo is a great opening. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, charmed by his, you know, uh, his presence and his, like, her- heroism and stuff like that. Sanjuro's kind of like maybe the dark middle chapter where things get kind of heavy and he's like, I don't want to be a sword anymore. This is awful. And then a third one to kind of cap it off mm-hmm. because he does move on down the street the moment he does kill. <laughs> puts right. his, cleans his sword and he goes, don't follow me. He's mad. But then, like, he goes off. It's almost like the next movie could pick up right there. Yeah. Like, the, like the next movie could pick up right as he's walking, because that's how we meet Yojimbo for the first time. He throws his hat up in the air, I think, or his sword or something, and then whatever way the, it lands, that's the way he goes. You yeah. Know, he's just this wandering soul who who uh, just is a, a weapon, a force of nature that comes in and, and has to help out, and hopefully things go well for the people... It would be interesting to see if they did make a third one. Well, if they did, everyone's gone. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, if there was a third one, if there, or if they made like maybe a, another middle chapter to this or something, mm-hmm. it would be interesting to see what one would look like if one had failed. Like maybe if this one had failed, because mm-hmm. and in some ways he kind of does because he tried to get through this nonviolently and ultimately had to use violence. So in some ways it is a failure. But he, it was still clever enough and humorous enough. The first one I remember having a lot of humor mm-hmm. and him kind of taking joy in like, 
running around like a like like I said like Errol Flynn or something like that. But but this one this one was more uh, melancholy and yes. and you know there was the guy in the closet you know coming out every once in a while and that was a little <laughs> bit humorous and right. you know knocking people out you know was a little humorous and watching them not listen to him and being honestly just oafs you know just kind of just getting through all of this yes but I don't know I I, I just feel like this one has such a darker tone. Well, it has, one. yeah, it has a darker tone, but it also, like we have mentioned, it has, it does feel like it has less stakes and it does, for me, have less personality than the first film because the first film, it's, it's literally a western town and you kind of get that long view of it and a wide shot of it. And he's, and there's a little bit of, uh, you know, he's up high. So there's a little bit of playing around with the, Everything's not just horizontal. There's a little vertical to the screen too. And I like that, I like that first one a bit better just because they've got those sorts of things involved. And here it is very linear. It is very sort of been there, done that. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that it came out, I believe the year after, uh, Yojimbo did. So it's almost like they just did one and they're like, all right, let's just pump oh, out yeah, another you're right. one. Let's just pump yeah, it out. Yeah, that's true. You know? I didn't even think about that, but yes, it and, looks like, yeah. And so they just, like, even though I think Mifune's really good, I do feel like he's a little sleepier in this movie. Like, there's just a little less for him to do in terms of, uh, like, we've seen him, you know, to where we've con- we've talked about him being the, the Wolverine that never was kind of a character and just kind of this, like, reckless sort of, character at times and he had a maniacal sort of laugh at times and here he's just kind of like he's yawning at points and I'm also sort of yawning at points and then he he does do his the great action scenes which I think are genuinely very good but then a lot of the film he's just kind of talking and explaining and he's just kind of he's like very settled in who he is which I think is the character the director and the actor all sort of feeling the same way to where they're like, oh, okay, we've done this. We know what we're doing. Everything's going to be fine, but I don't know that the story is quite enough for what I was hoping it to be. So I think I echo the same thing. Right. I, I think that there's, there's still, there's still some, uh, interesting things to be done. It's not just another one of those, like, oh, here he goes again. There's also some weight to it. But also, I'm not sure. The, it feels a little off balance. Mm-hmm. I think is is how you is is kind of how we were both describing it. So, yeah. um, but ultimately, I mean, even for like a oh, this is also still good. It's yeah. still an amazing film. Yeah, absolutely, like, the absolutely. other hilarious part about this is, is we're just. I think we have to get to a point where talking about Kurosawa, we're talking about on Kurosawa's level because. For me, when it comes to talking about a, a, a Kurosawa film, are any of them bad? Question mark. Because <laughs> right, I, it, it, we're getting, I feel like, to the point where I feel like I'm splitting hairs. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because so. we've talked about all of uh, uh, quite a few of his samurai films. We've talked about, like I'd said, some classics in movie history. Right, not just like some Joe Blow that is like, oh yeah, he's a good workman director, and this was a good film that he did one time. <laughs> but it's it's a guy that is a legendary director. So even though a film like Sanjuro comes along and it maybe isn't up to what I was hoping it to be, that's based on what he's done before and what I've seen him do, not just based on what an average director would do, like a Ron Howard, like a just sort of workman you know, knows what exactly what he's doing, kind of a director, but maybe isn't the flashiest or the most memorable kind of a guy. That so, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there anything in your little notes or anything that you uh, want to mention that we haven't mentioned? We didn't mention the women. I did enjoy the women in this movie. The two, uh, the two female characters I thought were, um, stronger than what I thought some of his characters were. Uh, it's not quite to the point of some of our our previous films, but in this world, like in the Yojimbo world, I thought that they were pretty good. I thought that it was less kind of shrieky that some of the acting styles of the time can be. Uh, and so I liked that. The the, uh, the older lady is the one, um, I believe it was after they're resting in the hay, but she's the one who described him as a 
sword unsheathed. Yes, and so that's I where that comes that, from. Yeah. That's why I. That's why I think she, I'm glad you mentioned them. I think they were both so important. Um, not just for the part of the the uh, uh, humorous uh, way to get you know to send a signal mm-hmm. with the with the flowers, but also for that very main message. Right. Um, also, they were uh, instrumental in in helping us see Sanjuro as uh, a very um, loyal figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they describe how. Um, even though they didn't necessarily trust him, should we trust him? What's he up to? What, what's in it for him? Why is he doing this for us? He still gets down on all fours and lets the ladies pretty much crawl up him to get over a fe- uh, in like a a, a, a wall, uh-huh. pretty much. And like they describe that, you know, a, a certain type of man allows that to happen. Right. Um, not you know, a selfless person, you know, makes that happen. And so the fact that he was able to. They, they were able to visually show, hey, use me to get through it, to get over an obstacle. That's what, that's, that is the leading defining characteristic of, of Sanjuro, sure. the character. Right. And, and, and just feel like that, that, that is what that's about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think, yeah, I, I think that they were, they were like semi-comical, uh, in, in some ways too. Like yeah. in, in the way that they just, but they are of their world. They are of their, their, uh, properness. I, I'm assuming they're probably more of a, um, maybe more upper class, uh, type of individuals, uh, who, you know, were used to a certain type of, of, um, not, they didn't seem like they were ones ready to just lay down in the hay, like the sure. way that, the way that they did. They seemed a little out of place there. So, it was interesting to see them kind of these two characters try to, but it, it also added a little bit of flavor in there mm-hmm. in some ways. Like you know, you're seeing it from you're getting you're getting another perspective that still seems important. Is it's it's a reminder of why Sanjuro does what he does. Yes, exactly. I think that that's a really good point because I think that that's that's their main function is to be the center, is to be the one who has the morality tale to remind him. This is who you're really fighting for. You're not fighting for these boys. Uh, you're fighting to save these women and children and that sort of thing. And to give the film a little bit of heart and to make it not so dour. Because they have that. And then once the guy is finally um, saved, he makes a couple of jokes, which I think is, again, supposed to make you feel like, oh, okay, everything's light and fun. And then they have that brutal last scene. Which I think is a nice little, everything's awesome, and then holy shit, look at all this blood. So, I think that that's a really, like, I really appreciated those last probably five minutes much more than most of the rest of the, fo- uh, rest of the film, actually. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it just goes to a, just an, an amazing, interesting place. Yeah. That you wouldn't necessarily expect, and it, it is another one, like, we keep describing this character, uh, as the amalgamation of like Wolverine and, and Obi-Wan. Uh huh. But that, th- I, I still think that Mufune's characters still just, they're the same, they're the same almost all the time, but in a way there's growth. Mm. Remember all the way back into, uh, into, um, one of the older, uh, I think it was maybe a decade before. Uh, when we started with, uh, what was it? Well, Rashomon was like 12 uh, years earlier, yeah. Twelve years earlier, right? And he was like this dirty, like farmer anger. You know, not a farmer, but like a kind of like this dirty criminal guy yeah. who was real. You know, and it's almost like that character, you know, got older and something hit him on the head that that literally kind of changed his his ways, and he became a little bit more. He transformed into a more righteous type, but also even within Seven Samurai, he's still a little bit like a. We talked about him being like a Wolverine type of wild card rogue, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. but still altruistic and still has noble causes that he wants to to complete. And then we get the final version of Mifune here, where yeah. he is the wandering Ronin uh, samurai who is righting wrongs. Right, and it's like it's it's just so fun to see that in order. 
like almost like a timeline, and then also watch the actor age. Oh, I, you can absolutely. see you can see the lines by his eyes in this one mm-hmm. uh, of of his age, and 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 I just like that he has that shoulder movement, giving that character <laughs> that shoulder movement is is two things to me. It's to show that he's like it's it's the it's the Riggs version of. I'm or no 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 it was uh, it, it's, I'm too old for <laughs> this the shit. It's the Martha stuff, yeah. Yeah, I'm too old for this shit. I can't I can't be doing this anymore. And also like it's an irritation. It's that inflammatory muscle in his back that is just sticking in him, and he wants to do something about it, but he knows he can't. He wants to unleash the beast that is this killer, that is this sword that we keep talking about, but he just has to like ugh, like I'm even doing it right now. I'm yes. just like. Ugh. And it hurts. It hurts to watch, you know, in some ways, because it, it kind of irritates me a little bit when I see it. Is is like I feel that too, and it's mm-hmm. just unspoken and so well done. And and I just I feel like every time, every single time, uh, we bring up a, a Kurosawa film and we talk about it, it's just a faucet. But this mm-hmm. time it was so much more interesting because it was so it was so differently set up and nuanced and. And so, therefore, there wasn't as much... I mean, there's there's some there's some luster that that has been lost a little bit. A little bit, sure. A little bit just just through familiarity, probably more than anything. But I kind of love it for that, though, too. In some ways, it's so weird. <laughs> right. I knew I knew by the end of the hour, I'd be like, maybe I'm going to talk myself, or we're going to talk myself <laughs> into loving it. And I'm like, maybe. And I'm like, yeah, it is still a really good film. Oh yeah. It's just it's just. I don't know. Maybe it's just the the in the place of where we watched it. I don't know. I don't it know what be. it could be. It could be like if we for the first set of these, if we would have went uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro right next to each other, maybe I would have had a little bit more of a high uh, esteem for the film than I do. Uh, because yeah. I think because I think it, like I said, I think it's fine, and I feel like I'm um, a little harsher on it than I would normally be. Like if this is my introduction to Mifune and Kurosawa, I would be glowing about the film yes. but I think it's because of what I've seen them already do I'm like okay well this is good but I've seen you do something similar to this and I liked the first version better of when you did it Right. So I, okay. maybe that's the reason why they decided to go this route with talking about how he's just this unstoppable sword and yeah. and, and, and that, that added a third dimension to his kind of cardboard cutout of being, and and that's maybe too too strong a word. Even even I don't even saying that doesn't feel right hmm. for for uh, who he is and and, and well, giving him that more heroic but tragic heroic type of uh, uh, talk. Yeah, and I will say that I love the fact that since this is the last film that we're doing with Mufune, I love the fact that he has this ending scene. And he has this group trying to follow him, and he says, you know, don't, I'll kill you. And in a modern film, they would follow him anyway, and he'd be like, oh, okay, you bunch of knuckleheads, whatever. And in this film, they listen to him, they bow, and then he looks at them and he goes, well, see ya. (laughs) And then just leaves. (laughs) And I love that, because it's like, that's sort of the Mifune that I've come to know through these movies, is he's just not one for big long speeches really it's just like well i'm out i'm out of here and he I wonder just what walks his last off. one was and what his an- exit exit film from the kurosawa the world of kurosawa was i'd be interested in seeing that final film slash performance slash scene that would be uh yeah i don't know i don't know what it is yeah i wonder because it's one of those that i he's one of those that like yeah like I kind of would love it if that was his last. It's probably not, but I would love to see if that was his last one because what an exit. Like he just, he literally hits the button and he's gone and then walks away. Wow. He was like, in it's so like, many, wow. Like, yeah. He's in so many movies. He's in, uh, he's got 183 titles on his filmography. Holy cow. Yeah. Oh no, hey, we're not going to find it tonight. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'd be interested. Even, even the throne of blood, uh, exit would have been fascinating. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. way that he, di- he dies in that one. Um, man. All right. Cool. Oh no, he's in high and low in the very next year, actually. Okay. So it looks like he goes even all the way through. Yep. All right. All right. 65 well, with uh, Redbeard. 
All right, cool. Anyway. Anyway, so is there anything that we missed that you wanted to mention or? No, I think we covered most of my stuff. It was okay. much shorter this time, mostly because I kind of, we we were, once the movie started taking off, I kind of kicked back and went, oh, okay, this will be easy to talk about. This will, this will, this seems like it'll be, you know, pretty simple. That's right. It wasn't, there wasn't as much to the script. There wasn't as much to the themes. There was, um, you know, everything was a little bit more straightforward, a little bit of been there, done that in a good way. And so it was more of a just sitting and enjoying the film as opposed to, well, let me pick apart this and see what it all means. And, and I don't know if I ever understand this and maybe Ben will get it and that kind of stuff for me this time. <laughs> and so, uh, so I enjoyed the film, but like I said, it's probably the one that I, I, uh, would rank toward the bottom of what we've gone through so far. And I think it's been like about six, seven movies or so. So it's not like we've gone through all 30 plus movies that Kurosawa did. So. We've only been picking the, some of the better stuff. Yeah. Some of the more revered stuff. So, all right. Well, wrapping us up, if you have any comments, suggestions, or movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, you could email us at plainlabelpodcast at gmail.com. You could follow the show over t- at Twitter under the handle at plainlabelpod. You could follow me over there. I'm at EricWilliams79. We also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account. You could follow both of those. Just search for Plain Label Podcast, and you'll find us there. If you wanted to help us out a little bit, you could head over to our show notes and you'll find the link to our Amazon wish list where we've got things like movies maybe that I want or equipment that uh, Rachel needs. <laughs> and you'll find our Audible link as well where you could get something for free just by signing up. So I do want to thank Ben once again for coming on. If people wanted to hear more from you or get in touch with you, where could they do that? The best place would be on... My Twitter, uh, at Ben Teed. It's just my full name. I got really lucky to be able to use my full name <laughs> on Twitter. So that's right. where I'm updating. That's where you'll see all of my, uh, letterbox stuff. Um, I really don't, I don't do a lot of social media anymore and I, and I've been happier because of it. Uh, but You're a man of mystery I, these the, days. Well, yeah, but also I just love being able to just, the only way you can, uh, see what I'm doing is, uh, just get on Letterboxd because <laughs> just watching movies. <laughs> I like so. that. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And Ben and I will be back next week to conclude, to conclude with a sad emoji face, our discussion of Akira Kurosawa with the 1985 film Ron. 